In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We come to the fourth feast of the Nativity of Christ, and we step back from the Divine Liturgy to take a longer view. We reached the moment of the Divine Liturgy, we're about to say the Creed and enter into the Anaphora, the great mystery of the Divine Liturgy. And maybe it is important for us to step back for a moment and look at the long moment the long view of the Divine Liturgy, this extraordinary gift that is offered to us so many times perhaps that we take it for granted, to look at the Sunday gift and then to look more broadly at the annual gift that is given to us at the Nativity of Christ and then to contemplate the eternal gift that is given to us in the Nativity in the Flesh. We celebrate every year the gift that is the Nativity of Christ. But it is an eternal gift, a gift that has always happened, that is always happening and will continue to happen until the end times. This gospel we've heard today is the genealogy of Christ, which is always a challenge for the gospel reader, as you can hear, not only because my throat is a bit sore from talking too much to my brethren clergy yesterday in York, but it's also a challenge in getting all those names right. Fourteen generations and fourteen generations and fourteen generations. And these genealogies of Christ are given in two places in Luke and Matthew, and they're very different. They contradict one another. And many pages and many words have been said and wasted trying to reconcile these two very different genealogies of Christ. And they've been used many times to prove that Jesus is something different or that these genealogies are incorrect, missing completely the point of these genealogies. And particularly when we hear at this point in the year and the preparation, the forefeast of the nativity, when we hear this genealogy next to the epistle that is given at this time, brethren, by faith, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise, in the t- dwelling in the tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. What more shall I say, said St. Paul, writing to the Hebrews, for time fails for me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel the prophets. Through faith they subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Sounds like a Netflix uh, movie, doesn't it? Escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant in fight, turn to flight the enemy's armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life, out and others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings. They were stoned, and as they had stones thrown at them, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented. By faith, by faith, by faith. In some of the translations of this particular uh, uh, part of Hebrews, there's this continuous refrain, by faith they did this, by faith they did this, by faith they did this. And at the end of this particular segment of the letter of St. Paul's of Hebrews, it says, 
And yet, having obtained a good report through faith, they did not receive the promised. They did not receive the promise. They did not receive the promise. Despite all those great heroic deeds, despite them acting in faith, despite them suffering in faith, despite all those extraordinary heroics that we only sit and watch on TV, we don't experience those things these days. By faith, they did not receive the promise because God, having provided something better for us, without us, they cannot be made perfect. Isn't that an extraordinary term of events? Right at the end of that epistle, all of those great extraordinary deeds that those prophets and saints before the incarnation of God as Jesus Christ in the flesh, all of those great exploits of the prophets before the incarnation, they did not receive the promise. We received the promise and they are perfected in us. Without us, they are not made perfect. The genealogy of Christ tells us one very important thing. And it tells us something about maybe perhaps for our preparations for Christmas. I wonder how many of us are doing some last minute shopping. And we grab a little bit of this and we grab a little bit of our shopping and grab something ready. We've forgotten something for Christmas, for Christmas dinner or forgotten a present for somebody. And we grab something. And we tend to do this with our faith. We forget and we go and grab a bit of faith. And we prepare. And we think of God sometimes in this way. And we think of God grabbing a bit of our life and making it, sorting it out. And we've made a mistake or we've made a decision. We think, oh gosh, God's got to fix my life and sort that out for me. And we make a quick prayer. We grab a bit of holiness and say, God, I've made a mistake. Can you fix this for me? Can you sort out my future for me? Because I've made a mess of it. And we sometimes think of God kind of grabbing his forehead and going, oh, goodness me, I've, I've got to sort your future for, out for you because you've messed up my grand plan here. And I've got to recalculate the grand plan because you've done something you shouldn't have done. And I've got to do all my calculations again because I've got all your future laid out for you. Because I'm the great God of the great plan. And you've messed up the plan. Okay, it's a very tiny bit of the plan, but it's a great plan that's laid out. The future is laid out. Those of you who are theologians will understand this to be called predestination. And if you follow your plan carefully, and if you're good Christians, you'll keep to the God's plan carefully, known as double predestination. You'll stick to the plan carefully, children. Listen to carefully because you need to know what God's plan is. Because if you don't follow God's plan, you're going to fall off God's plan and God's going to be really annoyed at you. You don't follow the plan. And God gets fed up with human beings who don't know God's secret plan. And you, your job as Christians, this is the way in which people think of God, if you don't know what God's secret plan is by special prayers, and you've fallen off God's plan, God gets annoyed at you and he gets really fed up with you and he has to murder God's his own son in order to be happy with you again. This is one particular way of thinking about God, which is completely incorrect, by the way, just in case you think I've gone a bit mad here. Okay, this is a particular model of Christianity that people have propagated over the centuries. 
that God has a special plan that's a secret plan. He doesn't tell anyone what the plan is. You've got to pray really hard to understand this plan that's already set out. And if you miss this plan and you get it wrong, God gets annoyed at you. And he gets fed up with you. And this is not the way it works. This is not how God... But God does plan. We see this plan in the genealogy of Christ. God is very carefully planned. Not a plan that you have to know. Not a God, a plan that you have worked out or God has worked out for you. But God has set out a plan of love. A plan of salvation. A plan that is a perfect plan. Not that you make the mistake of falling off. But a plan that is a generational plan. A plan that we see working throughout the centuries. That is a plan of love to call you back to love. A passionate plan. A plan of his love for you. Look at those heroes of the Old Testament who are not perfect without us, who rely on your love for him, not for your obedience to a great plan, but for you to fall in love with God. Because their perfection relies on you to fall in love with that very God who becomes incarnate, who becomes a baby for us becomes vulnerable and relies on us for our salvation. The genealogy that we see here, 14 generations, 14 generations and 14 generations, shows us that God has plotted very carefully a plan for our salvation, preparing the way, civilizing us very carefully, Preparing the prophets, preparing the world, preparing us, giving us the law as a guide, as the scriptures say. Preparing each one of us, preparing the generations bit by bit. As we heard in the Traparian, the first Traparian that we heard, Christ comes to restore life that he created in the beginning. This is the story. This is the plan, that Christ God, the Logos, begotten before all ages, not trying to make things up at the end of time, not trying to grab something and sort something out that's messed out, messed up at the end times, but before the beginning of time, Christ is begotten. God in, becomes incarnate as part of a grand plan. Why? Because God has made us free. God has made us human beings. And the thing that makes us human is our free will. He made us with free will in order that we can love. The thing that makes us human beings, and I'm going to add to something I said to someone a few days ago about free will. The thing that makes us human beings is that we're able to love we have free will because we can love. We're able to love because we have free will. God gave us the ability to have free will so that we can love. So that we can love him above all. 
And we learn to love him by learning to love one another. That's the sole purpose of human beings, is to love. Sure, animals can love. We all know puppy dogs love. But do they know that they love? Can they reflect on the fact that they love? No. But human beings can. And they can know that they love God and they can reflect on the fact that they can love. And they can tell stories about love. And they can tell stories about the ultimate love. And they can know the ultimate love. That is the love that God gives them. We are given the ability to be free. And the risk that God takes by making us free is that we reject the love that God gives us. And of course we do this every single day. Every time we forget God, every time we forget to love God, we forget to love. We reject that love that God's given us. But God is patient, centuries patient, millennia patient. Look at his plan. His plan is 14 generations times 14 generations times 14 generations from Adam to Mary. From the moment that we step out, knowing the difference between good and evil, stepping out from the Garden of Eden, from a place of blissful ignorance, We step out as free human beings out of the Garden of Eden. And from that moment, God prepares the way for our salvation, prepares the way back to blissful knowledge of God. And he doesn't do so by creating minutiae of plans for us. He creates the opportunity for us to know him as the incarnate God. And he does so through a human through Mary, through an ever-virgin woman, who through her own obedience, through her own passionate love towards God, through the generations of people who have fought and died, but did not receive the promise, they never saw the incarnation of God. It was always a prophecy for them, always a promise that I will be with you, Emmanuel, God with us. All through those centuries, there was always the promise that God will be with you. But they never saw that promise. Imagine us now. Imagine what it would be like for me to say to you guys now. God will be with you. One day God will be with you. The unknowable God will be amongst us one day. And for us to one by one disappear and fall asleep in Christ and not know the incarnation of God and not have seen that promise and not to experience that promise. And yet in less than an hour, less than half an hour, you will have seen that promise. You will have seen God incarnate because you will have received the Eucharist into your very bodies. All you have to do is see it. All you have to do is know it. 
Because in actual fact, in history, God has become a human being. In history, in one moment in history, Mary has given birth to God. A human being has contained the uncontainable. A human being has contained all of creation in her womb. And she births that uncontainable creator of everything as a human being. And we can get all nice and sentimental about babies and stuff like that. I'm sure we've had plenty of Christmas cheer at schools, etc. And all the sentiment of that. But for us grown-ups and for those who are on verge of being grown-up, we have to understand that this is not just sentiment, this is God born into a cave, made visible to us that we receive the thing that generation, 14 generations and 14 generations and 14 generations, they never received that promise. And yet we stand before the holy doors, before the anaphora, before the epiclesis, before the descent of the Holy Spirit upon bread and wine, before that becomes the body and blood of our Lord God and Saviour Jesus Christ, incarnate in the flesh. We stand knowing that we have received that promise in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.